December 16th, 2002. Howie looks at the business to see how he can help. And this is actually the first line is from the day before. It was an email from me to Howie saying, thank you for a most memorable evening. I will never look at cat toys the same again. And then on December 16th, I wrote him eight o'clock in the morning. I was really pleased with the following figures. I had to compile them for the combined federal campaign renewal that I just did and thought they may be of interest to your friend as it shows tremendous growth during a time when many nonprofits and for-profits have failed. The year is obvious. The next number is the number of families that have actually visited wildlife on Easy Street. We only fill out one release form per family. And often, if we recognize a person, we don't have them fill one out if they come back within four years. Some people are there every month. The dollar amount is the amount donated by the general public in each of those years. For the years 1999, 2000, 2001, and 2002, there was one $10,000 donor, $10, donor in each year. The next highest one was $7,500, with everyone else below 2000 That averages out to $89 per family. So in 1996, we had 34 visitors and donations were $32,280.99. In 1997, we had 159 visitors and that was $97,848.20. In 1998, we had 1,683 visitors and that brought in $176,258.15. In 1999, we had 3,065 donors, 3,565 donors, and that brought in $189,456.21. In the year 2000, we had 4,271 visitors, and that brought in $314,738. In 2001, we had 4,982 visitors, and that brought in 3,000 $322,249. It was also the year of 9-11 when tourism and donations just stopped. In 2002, we had 4,382 visitors and that brought in $400,012. We are in the black by about $800 for 2002 for the very first time. Each figure below represents how deep in the red we were for the corresponding year. So all of this where the we were in the red, that had to come from my real estate investments. So in 1995, even though all of those figures sounded pretty good, in 1995, In 1995, now everybody's going to say copy, 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 copy. In 1995, we were $165,290.09 in the red. In 1996, we were $155,254 and a penny in the red. In 1997, we were $149,094.80 in the red. In 1998, we were $222,373.80 in the red. In 1999, we were $101,556.50 in the red. In the year 2000, we were $281,524 in the red. 
In 2001, we were $34,778 in the red. And in 2002, we made a $800 profit. <laughs> I was so thrilled. Oh my gosh, I was so thrilled. And then the email goes on. As you can imagine, I am just ecstatic. I have to donate $125,000 to $150,000 every year for tax purposes. But now that means that the money I put in can go into expanding our programs and doing so much more good than just supporting the animals that I've already taken responsibility for. I expect 2003 to be a terrific year for promoting compassion in our community. Our supporters come from all over. The total number of families was 19,076. Of those, 4,276 4, were from Tampa. From Florida, but outside Tampa, it was 9,268. Outside the U.S., outside of Florida, there were 5,286. And we had 246 international visitors. This is an email later in the day from Howie to me. He says, The more I learn about your life, the more in awe I am of the struggles you have endured. Like your cats, you are a survivor maybe against the odds given what you have had to handle. This is excellent. Do you, have, do you happen to have a way to easily know how much of the donations were from attendance, i.e. people donating when they visit versus ones like the $10,000 that people send in as an unrelated to a visit? I wrote him back and said, no, we have a cash box that gets counted down every week, but no breakdown between tours, gift shop items, etc. We began keeping inventory records this year so that we can go backwards to calculate the value of things sold. We call it a donation, so the prices vary. This still doesn't help with knowing much about where the income is from. Jamie was able to track $90,000 this year from gift shop sales and adoptions and memberships. Jess is working on creating some software for us to help. Blackbod charges $10,000 for their program. Tracking this information would help us and is on the short list of things to do. And then this was Howie's question. I had the impression the sanctuary started 10 years ago. Did it start in 96 or was there no visitor program or no records from before then? I responded saying, we started in 1992 with the rescue mission, but didn't allow visitors until 1996. Don was always dragging home people and showing off his collection, and then one day someone said, actually this was Doug Edwards who said, you know, you could charge for this. We began writing it off our taxes each year, and the IRS said we had to make it profitable or else become a legitimate nonprofit. so I applied in 1994 and was accepted in 1995. It took me three times because I didn't know what I was doing. We had virtually no volunteers prior to 1995. Don, Jamie, and I took care of feeding, cleaning, and vet care for over 200 animals by ourselves. Don called it being semi-retired, but I found it caused for a nervous breakdown every two years. That is when I would drive to the Keys and lay in a hammock crying for three days straight before coming home to face another two years. I haven't done that since 1997. In 1992, we began in November and only rescued one bobcat at a cost of $680. In 1993 and 1994, my secretary kept track of the receipts, which meant she kept them in a bag called animals. When I totaled them up, they came to $101,555.97. And since there was no income, that was our expense. It was in 1997 that I compiled these, and I didn't break them down by the year nor the category. In 1995, 
I began tracking categories, such as vet bills, food, shelter, etc. And then in Howie's email, he had asked, do you have a breakdown of how this past year's funds were spent? I, respo I responded saying, yes, do you have a fax number? My mother tracks this with a program that I don't have on my computer. It's called NoteSmith, so I can only get the report by fax. It is only one page, but it's a lot of detail. And then there was later an email from me to Howie. My reason for sending you concentration camp was twofold. One, you expressed an interest in the phenomenon, and the other was to justify my existence. The latter, of course, being the more compelling. The line from Deserata that I most associate with in the song is, you have the right to be here. I have never felt that and always believed that I had to justify my right to be here. Thus the classic overachiever attitude. My nature is to bond with one person and to be the power behind the throne. The greatest compliment that I ever received was from a fellow investor who told me that she saw Don as being larger than life. A newscaster recently used that term about me, but it wasn't as meaningful to me as the compliment that the investor had given. I love the challenge of rescuing someone or something, and then I put parentheses, I put wildlife on easy street, and turning that into something that people look up to and want to emulate. My choices in men have been such that I can perpetuate this illusion of being loved when in fact I was merely needed. I could live out this fantasy and turn out and turn a blind eye to much of what was real unless inescapably confronted with the truth. When I hired the bounty hunter to find my husband and all he found was a long list of Don's lovers, I couldn't ignore the truth. It took me four months and the mysterious disappearance of my husband to fire my friend and secretary, Anne. I didn't want to believe that the people I loved could do this to me. When I met Peter in November of last year, he was living in a garage, had no job, and I thought I had met my soulmate. I had never used that term and never believed in the concept until the first letter I read from him. I met him via Match.com on AOL. From the first night we were together, he moved in. He was a chiropractor and an acupuncturist, but had licensing problems, as I explained before. He was able to cure some lifelong pro problems that I have had with pain, and he introduced me to books that I found to validate so much of what I knew to be true about the power of the mind, but didn't know other people had experienced. He had dreams of what he wanted to do to change the world and seemed like the perfect person for me to get behind. I took over all of his bills, sent him to contractor school because he couldn't fix his licensing problems, and supported him entirely. He asked me to devote myself to him alone, and I did from the first day. Three months later, I walked into the office in our home, and he was writing a letter to a woman who had sent him a nude photo of herself from Match.com. I recognized the logo on the screen as I walked into the room. He is as deaf as they come, so I stood there read the letter over his shoulder, and then walked out without saying anything to him. He didn't know I had been there. A few days later, I asked if he was still using his dating subscription, and he denied it. A few days later, I confronted him with what I had witnessed, and he said it would never happen again. I didn't believe him, so I created an account 
Using a photo I pulled off the internet of an attractive woman and a profile that I knew would appeal to him and immediately got a response asking me to see him. I continued corresponding with him to see how far he would take it and in no time he was trying to arrange a motel rendezvous. I created several such people to be sure that he was not just in love with this one I had made to order for him and by April, I had intercepted 32 solicitations for sex from him. I am surely not that stupid. <laughs> I was just that much in love, or codependent, with him and wanted some evidence that he loved me. From January to April, I often asked him if he felt that from January to April, I often asked him if he felt that we had moved in together too quickly and he suggested, if he wasn't sure about us, that I was patient and I would be willing to have an open relationship. He insisted that he wanted our relationship to be monogamous. In April, I told him what I had done and that I had intercepted 32 of his emails asking other women for sex. I told him the free ride was over and that I wanted him to move out. He wouldn't go. He asked me to allow him to take his contractor's exam first so that he would have a trade to support himself, and that was in June. I agreed. He called me from Miami when he he called me from Miami when he was taking the three day exam to tell me that he would not be moving out, so while he was gone, I packed up his things, put them in storage, and paid up the bill for the next two months. I put his personal effects in an RV that I had set it up in a park, and paid the rent for the next couple of months so that he would have a roof over his head. I even paid for a phone line so he could continue looking for a woman online who would take over supporting him. I had involved him in a real estate deal, and even after moving him out, continued to correspond with him because there is $117,000 at stake there. Jay Baikal didn't want me to have any contact with any man from my past and insisted that I walk away from the real estate deal. Peter's help with the deal had resulted in him being sued, and I had been protecting him with legal counsel. So I told him to use the real estate proceeds to protect himself, because I would not be able to continue helping him. When Jay by Cal and I broke up, Jay called Peter and told him I wouldn't have. Peter had found a woman in Sanford whose husband was in jail and he was living with her. The husband was soon to be released and Peter was looking for a place to live. He never said, but my guess is that he sold the RV. He had discounted the $117,000 deal to $35,000 to get out of the legal mess he had caused, but couldn't get the deal to close and asked me to step in and make it happen for him. I have been paying for him to come and take care of my pain issues with acupuncture once a week, but have done it more because he needs the money than because I need the relief. As his time draws to a close where he is, he has been putting increased pressure on me to let him move back in. I was seeing him once a week, or once every other week, but I believed that if it were not for the money, he wouldn't be coming here and told him so. He is afraid now that I won't give him the money from the real estate deal, and I have been wrestling with that since the only contribution he has made was to screw things up, but that is an entirely different matter regarding ethics. I would like your input on that because of your high standards, but fear I wouldn't trust your advice because you will probably tell me what I expect to hear. 
Friday, he asked me why I was content to be with Friday, he asked me why I was content to be so far from him, which loosely translated into, why can't I move back in? This was the question that had precipitated the meditation. The vision illustrated that I give of myself to others to the point of starvation for love, and that I entrap myself in these situations where I feel like a victim. The escape from the concentration camp depicts my feeling of freedom for the first time in my life. It is scary out here on my own. I don't know where I am going. It is cold and lonely, but I am ecstatic at being free from this destructive, from this self-destructive pattern. I don't know how to be single, and worse, how to maintain it. In the past, I would commit to the first man that crossed my path and ask me to, and that has never been good. The reason I feel the need to justify my existence is because you are different. You are strong and self-sufficient. You are capable of taking care of yourself, and it spills over to the way you take care of those around you. If any man ever deserved the devotion of a good woman, it is you. Being with you is such a pleasure. There is no downside, no trade-off or compromise. It's just wonderful. You haven't asked me for a thing, and you are such a departure from what I have come to expect as the norm that I don't know how to behave around you. It would do no good to tell myself, it would do no good to tell me to be myself because myself has always been merely the reflection of what the man in my life needed me to be. I don't know how to remain free of the patterns of the past other than to not do what I have done repeatedly without success before. If I continue to date others and resist becoming too emotionally involved with you, then it is different from what I have done before. Who knows if that is better, but at least it is different. When you say these are not tough acts to follow, at some point you are bound to wonder why, with all that you are and all that you do, aren't you the center of my universe? If any man in my life was worthy of such adoration, it is you. The only thing that holds me back from that is the past and not wanting to repeat it. It hurts to feel that what you are and what you give is not appreciated. And I wanted to let you know that I do recognize what a unique individual you are. I felt compelled to justify what might I felt compelled to justify what must seem like my profound blindness at not acknowledging your value. On another note, I have been musing all morning about your view of yourself at a distance and how that can put things in perspective. I have always been egotistical and prideful and think those things to be negative attributes, but never thought about how detrimental they are to the spirit until you commented how issues of acceptance and rejection are tied to the ego. You are right, and that is very insightful. As I practice the exercise, I am painfully aware of how insignificant anything I am trying to do really is. I don't find that comforting, but I can see how it would make specific problems seem inconsequential. The most valuable lesson I am learning from your words is that there is great benefit in doing the right thing for the right reasons, without concern for how it affects me or the way I am perceived. 
There is a lot more to it than that, but I just can't quite articulate it yet. Interesting that Sydney, um, Sydney is the cat, was living out my fantasy, but at a different time than when I was thinking it. On the way home last night, I was thinking about your offer to let me sleep over. I was thinking what a nice gesture that was on your part, but that to do so would involve me crawling all over you all night and not letting you sleep. I didn't want you to think that your offer was not appreciated, since I seemed to blow it off with the observation on traffic patterns. I know that I would be laying on you or hovering over you or watching you sleep and that come morning, I wouldn't be able to leave you alone. While that might be nice on an occasion, you could find that a little obsessive. Spending the night is how all of my cohabitation nightmares have started, and I really want this relationship with you to remain good. So, for now, it is best if Sydney live out my fantasy for me. Perhaps she and I could exchange some remote viewing and sensing. I will chase squirrels here for her. And then I'm not sure which way this goes. So it looks like this is an email. Um, and it looks like how he's saying, if you were able to raise additional money, what would you do with it? Is there room to build more catatats so that you could house more cats? Or would it go to other purposes? And if so, what would they be? And my answer is, the problem of surplus exotic cats cannot be cured by building cages. As long as the public will pay to see a cute cub at the zoo, or will pay to see animals perform, or will pay to have someone drag a cat on a leash into a school or a civic hall, or will pay to buy one as a status symbol, or will pay to have their fur, there will always be more cats needing refuge than all of the sanctuaries in the world can handle. Changing the world's perception of the value of animals' life is the only way to end the abuse. If we can do that, then all life will be perceived as precious, and therein is the answer to our woes. <laughs> Which I did not get at the time, but woes was the acronym for Wildlife on Easy Street. This is where most people interject, you can't change the world, to which I want to know, why not? Is there anybody out there who doesn't want to live in a world where people respect each other and care for each other? Even in the most evil of humankind, even the most evil of humankind responds positively to kindness when it is lavished upon them. Changing perception is a big challenge, but not insurmountable because the end result is something that everyone wants. Any money we can raise over and above the needs of the existing animals on Easy Street should go toward education. Public perception is often molded by peer pressure. Smoking used to be portrayed as cool, and to reverse the trends in children, the campaigns were launched to portray the kids who didn't smoke or use drugs as being the ones who were cool. It worked. The same approach worked for the in the same approach works for the fur industry and the groups who are against it. The side with the most influential media campaign sets the standard. Groups such as Cirque du Soleil show us that we can be mesmerized and entertained without calling for the suffering of non-human animals. 
I was mightily impressed with Land Rover's ad depicting the owners of an expensive Range Rover on their way to the opera, stopping to rescue a stray dog in the rain. Anything we can do to promote responsibility toward animals and each other leads us to our goal. The cats on Easy Street reach people with the message more effectively than any medium I know. So many times I have heard men who have been dragged there by their wives say that they had been hunters and that after having petted a bobcat, they could never pull the trigger and end the life of a, such an incredible animal again. I cry saying that because it's sort of an awakening in man that touches me so deeply. We are all one. So many people think they want them as a pet, but they come out there and see cage after cage of animals that didn't work out, and they hear the stories about the owner's selfishness that resulted in the animals being abandoned. I have received countless letters and calls from people who said they always wanted a tiger as a pet, but after learning what it is really like and how the animal usually ends up, they were glad they didn't buy one. In truth, I think they realize that they don't want to change their lives for an animal and that they would be the ones perceived as selfish if they dumped the cat, so it no longer appeals. Whatever the, mo whatever the motivation, I am always happy to hear that they have changed their minds. At the beginning of the tours, people are always yapping about the performance they saw of some big cat do in Las Vegas until they see the results of the animals that wouldn't perform. With just one visit, perceptions start to change. 98% of the people who answer the question on the release forms say that they heard about us through word of mouth. The money best spent in changing perception is in getting more people in front of the cats with qualified guides who can help tell their story. We are, first and foremost, for the animals in our care, a sanctuary. With that in mind, the increase in traffic will always have to be done in such a way that the animals see it as beneficial. Our Big Cat Expedition accomplishes that. It is an experience people cannot get anywhere else. It generates one-third of our income, and most importantly, the cats love it. Sitting in a jail cell all day for a crime you didn't commit would make any animal crazy. The interaction the cats get with guests and keepers and the stimulation to learn new behaviors is the highlight of many of the cats' days. Participation in this activity is limited only by our ability to make people aware of its existence. We have begun plans to incorporate the local hotels in bus trips for their guests to Wildlife on Easy Street for this Keeper for a Day program. We cannot house more than four families overnight so that's $1,200 per day at full capacity. So we are hoping to utilize the local motel's bedrooms to increase visitation. We have 200 animals in need of enrichment, and typically, at full capacity, we have two tour groups handling no more than six to eight cats each. There is huge opportunity for expansion here. With 200 animals, that is 25 sets of eight animals each. Without the cabin portion, each visitor is paying $100 per person. If the tour groups were limited to four guests and one handler, that generates $400 per set of 25, or the potential for $10,000 per day. Current expenses are under $1,000 per day. We are spending all day with these people, 
as opposed to a two-hour tour, so we can fully indoctrinate them with the issues the animals face and what they can do to help. I rather like the concept of using the problem to cure it. This, this sort of exposure and income then starts to be capable of making a much bigger impact. We can lead by example and help other sanctuaries do the same thing. As long as we stay pure to our goals and put the animals' needs first, we can reach a much broader cross-section of the country. We belong to an accreditation group called the Association of Sanctuaries. It is a regulatory group that gives its stamp of approval to refuges, refuges who do not breed, sell, nor exploit the animals. There are less than 50 such qualified facilities in the U.S., and we are the only one in Florida, and the only one nationally that specializes in cats. I would propose that any group instituting such a program subject themselves to the policies of the Association of Sanctuaries to ensure the quality of life for the animals and the conformity of the message we are trying to convey. I would like to see a lot more money go into outreach programs, including schools, colleges, library programs, summer camps, and video productions for the increasing television market that now has entire stations dedicated to animal issues. Our school system is not equipped to teach anything about conservation, responsibility, nor making intelligent choices. I wish to infiltrate that system with programs that we can provide for free because all of the knowledge in the world is useless if we can't breathe the air nor drink the water because no one ever taught us that we can make a difference. When I ask my volunteers why they work in the bitter cold, washing out water dishes with their bare hands, or in the sweltering heat, shoveling poo, they invariably say it is because they are making a difference. We all have that need at varying levels, and it is money well spent to show people that we all have the ability by making responsible choices in how we spend our money and our time. As public perception begins to shift, we can drag the Neanderthals of our society along for the ride by encouraging laws that protect the animals from cruelty, canned hunts, fur farming, and the like. We need better laws, stricter penalties, and more money devoted to enforcement. No More Homeless Pets is another project that is a self-curing promotion. As we reach people with why it is necessary to spay and neuter their pets and why they should adopt from shelters, rather than support breeders, we are instilling the fundamentals about respect for life that will ultimately heal the situation. Safe in the Wild, which stands for Saving Animals from Extinction in the Wild, is near and dear to my heart and is what the name implies, but it is pretty far down on the list of important things to do. I support several projects on a limited basis and would love to make a huge impact in time. This is talking about conservation in the wild. I am so happy with the progress that I have seen in our society over the past few years that I have been aware. The changes for the better are more dramatic with each passing year. I apologize for inundating you with far more information than you have time to read. I want to thank you for asking because it has been helpful for me to take stock in where we are and where we are heading. And I'm trying to figure out who's writing who. So there's an email line from Howie saying, 
have your earrings and we forgot the lion donations. We'll hold for the next rendezvous. And then I wrote back, subconsciously, I am always leaving something to have an excuse to come back. Hmm. I just got a note from Anissa, our educational director, saying that someone from Raymond James is donating $10,000 to our educational program. They have never even seen our facility, but are coming out on the 29th. They said they found us on the internet. Food for thought. With all the work you are putting into presenting us to the friend of your friend, can you duplicate it and make a living from it? I have heard that grant writers can make a very good income and that income and that is, I believe, based on performance, which naturally would mean that wildlife on Easy Street would benefit tremendously, thus relieving an enormous burden from my shoulders. Something to think about before you commit to a nine to five somewhere. Jamie told me today that Ringling asked her to prepare a letter about wildlife on Easy Street that they are sending to a thousand people who will be attending their pre-show by invitation only. The letter gives them the option of letting their $10 ticket price be donated to us or just go to the circus. I thought this was pretty clever on Feld Entertainment's part, as it will let them know what the percentage of their invitees think of as being important. If they had any doubt about the benefit to them of promoting us, this should show them that it is a great move. MOSI, that stands for the Museum of Science and Industry, is coming out for their second tour in the past month, and they say they are excited about the opportunity of joining forces with us. They wanted to do an IMAX movie here with a crew of 600, and I said that isn't going to happen just yet. So they want to come out and run something else by us. So many exciting things are happening. There are 16 parcels that I'm going to bid on tomorrow, so I hope I can pick up a few. It is very rare that there are so many good ones. All of them are vacant lots and nothing too terribly exciting. I hope your short project is challenging and rewarding for you. Kiss the cats for me.